Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. Divorce Dialogues brings expert guests to the airways to talk through your divorce questions and fill in the gray areas about separating. From thinking about divorce, to how to behave during divorce, to what to do after, this is Divorce Dialogues. Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Catherine Miller. I am the founder at the Miller Law Group and a director at the Center for Understanding and Conflict. And I am on a mission to change how people divorce and help them divorce with dignity. And my guest today is Harry Barth. He's the founder and senior managing partner for Barth Calderon LLP and the co-author of the book, Planning Today for All Your Tomorrows. He's a nationally recognized speaker on estate business and asset protection planning. Harry has over 40 years of experience counseling business owners and their families, corporations, and franchises nationwide. And he has distinguished himself by being an asset protection advocate. And his workshops have helped thousands of families and businesses protect their assets that they've worked so hard to build. Welcome, Harry Barth. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Great to be here, Catherine. You know, and I think if people are wondering, why am I having an estate planning attorney and an asset protection professional on the show about divorce, I think it's one of the big things that people worry about, A, when they're getting divorced and B, after their divorce. And it's one of those sort of little, I think, attended to aspects of the post-divorce planning process. So what are your thoughts about what people should think about after divorce in terms of of protecting their estate and, and rethinking it? And before you answer the question, I also want you to include this thing, which is my experience is, is that my clients are really done with lawyers when they're done with the divorce. The last thing in the world they want to do is like, oh, you know what? Let's hire another lawyer and spend some more yeah. money on on counsel fees, doing something different. I'm exhausted. I just need to rest. So talk a little bit about what's the time sure. frame that you think is ideal and what the risks are for not doing it that way. Sure. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much, Catherine. I think we need to set the time frame just a little bit earlier, however. We've counseled, my God, you know, a thousand people through divorces in this particular area. And let me kind of articulate for your audience some of the issues that are prevalent and are not thought about. So even before the divorce, uh, so let's start, you know, in time when, you know, there are marital difficulties, there may be lack of trust, whatever the issues are that bring about the divorce or the collaborative divorces you like to work on, we have some questions. So the first question is, is simply when we talk about estate planning, let's talk a little bit about health care directives, for example. So, uh, Catherine, if you and I are married and we, we, we're thinking of getting divorced, I'm not so sure. I want you the one to be the person who is making decisions whether I live or die, pull the plug on life support systems, you know, what type of medical care I get or don't care. So I think at this point, once uh, either the distrust or the the separation begins. The first thing that should be done is the existing healthcare directives should be terminated and new healthcare directives be put in place. We find this absolutely critical as they go through the divorcing process. So the right people are making the correct decisions for them and not the people that are in the question of, of distrust or questions of ultimate separation. Same thing holds true with uh, powers of attorney. So uh, you and I are married, and I said, okay, 
Catherine, you're going to, you, when we were married, you were going to hold my power of attorney to make all business and property decisions for me in the event of my incapacity. My God, I don't think I want you doing that now. And I think it's kind of quite literal because I say, I don't turn around and say, you know, you're still at that point, my wife, you're still Catherine Miller. And the document says Catherine Miller might not even say my wife holding that power. So I think that all of the healthcare powers and property management powers in the early stages should be rewritten to the people that we know and trust for that period of time. And I don't think we have any interference with courts or anything else at that point. We could do it on our own. Well, let me just stop you there for a minute because I think you make a really good point, Harry, and that is that every state has laws limiting how we can dispose of our estates if we're married. We must do certain things to take care of our children unless we've signed a prenup or a postnup waiving that requirement. But it doesn't require that our spouse be the person who make our our health care decisions. We're allowed to name anybody we want at any time. And so I think right. what you're saying, and it makes a, a lot of sense with regard, because a lot of times people even post-divorce are like, wait a second, my ex-spouse is going to get millions of dollars if I die. <laughs> I don't want them sure. to be like, you know, it's kind of good for me as if I don't give this dream or I pull the plug or whatever it is that you're thinking. Oh, sure. I want to separate those two things from each other and if somebody's really pissed off at me, you know, they might not be making the best medical decisions for me. Well, probably not even 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 interested in making a medical decision for you. So I think that it's really important that those living documents of the powers of attorney and the healthcare directives, any moment where there is consternation between the partners, should be modified again to people that we know and trust. We can, you know, if things reconcile, it's fine. We can always change them back. The next issue, so that, that, that's very, very important. We want to get that in place. The other thing, too, is that when you just mentioned, here we are about to perhaps um, terminate a marriage, depending on how long the marriage was, there are numerous things. There are uh, joint properties. In New York, for example, there's uh, tenancies by the entirety. There's tenants in common. There are Various different ways we have may have have a joint trust that was put together and assets loaded into a joint trust. And, you know, it's quite literal when before the dissolution is entered into by the court, you're still my spouse. And if I die, you, you see you hit it right on the head. You will inherit. I may have left everything to you, and that's not my plan at all. So I think it's a couple of things that need to be done early in the process. At the time that we're creating new healthcare directives and the time that we're creating new durable powers of attorney, I think it's probably a very good idea to revoke or at least revoke, if not modify, if we have a joint trust or modify if we have a separate trust to to the people that we actually have children by passing spouse or whomever and and the positions too. It may have been in my joint trust that my spouse is the the successor trustee and the primary beneficiary. I don't think I want that to happen. That's definitely not what I want it to be post-divorce. It's also not what I want it to be in in the early stages of divorce. So I think it's very important that everyone wills, you know, and trusts that are in place, especially those which are not irrevocable, to be modified at early point in time 
not necessarily after divorce, but as part of the process. But one of the issues that you face is, uh, which is slightly different, is that you have a problem. There's a a conundrum of a problem. And here's the problem, and here's the solution to the problem. One of the reasons that people create trusts, one of them, multitudes of reasons, is for privacy. To try to move assets between husband and wife or between parents and children privately without having to go to probate or surrogate's court. And that is important to do. But when you enter petition for a dissolution of marriage, we don't necessarily know, and correct me if I'm wrong, Catherine, what the ultimate distribution under the equitable doctrines of the state or community property doctrines of a different state, depending on where you are, what the actual property division will be at the beginning. So it's very difficult if I'm creating a new trust for myself and my spouse is creating a new trust for herself to know what assets we can fund into those so we stay out of court. So unfortunately, what we do is we can create a new will for Harry. I create a new will. My my spouse can create a new will for herself. Yes, those wills can point to newly established trusts to make sure that things are bypassing my spouse and, and, and getting to my children. But we can't really fund those trusts, put assets into there until after you achieve, you know, the property settlement. We know what we own and then we can move them into the trust. And the other thing that I think that's very important and, and a, a consideration is ultimately you may have, as a result of the work that you've done, perhaps some spousal support obligations, perhaps some obligations that are there for life insurance and the payment of life insurance to support things. And some of those agreed upon uh, decisions that you ultimately have need to be baked into the estate planning documents to make sure that they reflect on the agreements of the parties. All right. So you said a lot there, Harry Barth, but before we ask some questions, I want to remind people sure. that they're listening to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Catherine Miller, and Divorce Dialogues is here on WVOX 1460 AM in Westchester County every other Wednesday from 5 to 5.30, or perhaps you're listening on the podcast, which is available wherever you listen to podcasts. If you've got any family law questions in New York, please give us a call at 914-862-7487. And I'm talking today with Harry Barth about post-divorce and even during divorce, estate planning. And so one of the things I wanted to ask you, Harry Barth, was, you know, a lot of times people are not you know, getting along that great when they're getting divorced. And actually in the divorce negotiation itself, the the relationship can be the most brittle that it's ever going to be, that it was before and it will be after. And are you suggesting that people really start thinking about how they want to revise their estates together in during the as part of the no. divorce process? No, okay, no, no, not, not 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 necessarily. Of course, the work that sometimes that's possible, but not always. You know, it's possible, but usually emotionally not possible. Uh, no, not at all. Uh, what I'm suggesting is that each partner revise their own documents, no longer a together document. So for my spouse, she should have her own health care directive, her own power of attorney, her own will, and her own trust, indicating the things. She may want to bypass me and go directly to the children. It's more likely that she will, or to her friends, relatives, whatever she wants, it's within her control to do. 
the trouble is, is like I said, before the divorce is over, what she has or I have control of is yet to be determined. So we could lay down the rules and regulations of what we want for what we have. But what we actually wind up with is still to be determined as at the end of the process that you're helping them through. So the answer is absolutely yes. We have seen scenarios over and over again where people are in the process of divorce. They pay no attention to this. And now I'm divorcing my wife. My wife ran off with some other guy, let's say, so to speak. And now my wife is making a decision on whether or not I should remain on life support systems. She's now... If I'm incapacitated, she may also have complete control of over all of my assets as successor trustee of a trust or as a successor attorney. In fact, uh, boy, I'm not, that is absolutely no. So I think it's a mandate when people lose the bond, so to speak, or even in anticipating the loss of the bond between the people that they turn around and take these seminal vital documents and get them segregated to and they may be segregated, but make sure that the, the parties that they're more comfortable with are in place. I have literally seen it just the opposite. And it's, it, it, now in some cases, what will happen if, if my wife, for example, we are going through a divorcing process and she's called my wife until we're divorced. Many times the credible thing to do, and I, let's say I have her backed up by my children, is my wife should resign her position if she was ever put in that place, knowing that. It's not the appropriate or proper thing to do. But I have seen that, Catherine, my God, go uh, improper. And most of it, it's an error, not a, a commission. It's an error of omission. They just, they just don't, like you said, they don't think about that. They're so laser-focused on the emotionality of the split. They're laser-focused on you know what life's going to look like in the future that they kind of put this on the back burner. But I think that uh, it's very important that the estate planning asset protection attorney be involved with you to making sure things are set up pre preliminarily and then post-divorce can be more uh, detailed, you know, and when we know what we own into the documents at that time. And I think that that's critically, critically, critically important. And, the, you know, one of the other things that you had indicated to me is that, you know, the, the use of uh, pre- and post-marital agreements, I think, are very, very important and very, very effective in helping deal with this as well. And, you know, um, asset protection is important, too. Uh, you know, it, it, what happens when one spouse still married, you know, create a liability for the other spouse? When does that begin? When does that end? What control do they have over assets? And I think one of the great examples of that is uh, we've done some work for some of the titans up in Silicon Valley. And they even had, they spent a lot of money uh, in establishing, as uh, I'm sure you've done, in a prenuptial agreement. And then what happened was, is that and they have their, allegedly their separate assets. And, they, you know, those assets would not be subject in New York, for example, to equitable, perhaps equitable distribution because of the prenuptial agreement. And then what happens is, Catherine... The spouse, the other spouse, litigates the validity of the prenuptial agreement, all too common, as you know. And although it may be the best written prenuptial agreement in the world, if the court's going to take a look at that, how long could that take? Six months, three months, nine months, ten months. And during that period of time, the spouse that controls all of their separate property may be completely held up, completely held up 
for managing their affairs while the court determines whether or not those assets are subject to equitable distribution. So what we do many, many times is when you put together an appropriate, proper prenuptial agreement, which is great, by the way, for asset protection. At the same time, we put together special domestic asset protection trusts to hold that that separate property. So in the event the prenuptial agreement gets litigated, the spouse can still manage their assets in the trust because the court wouldn't have jurisdiction over that trust. Just very common depending upon the net worth and the structure for the client if they have a prenuptial agreement. Just a kind of an add-on that's critically important. I think that's really important. And you're talking about the use of premarital and postmarital agreements to kind of to name what assets will be divided, what assets won't be divided in, in the marriage when the marriage ends. And I think it's really interesting to think about it this way, Harry. I wonder what you think about this, but all marriages end either by death or divorce. And I always think it's a really good idea to think while you're in a loving place wanting to plan for your future life together, including the separation when that happens, again, either by death or divorce, to think about that in a very planning, proactive, instead of a reactive end of life or end of marriage place, Mm -hmm. that that's a loving, romantic, and responsible thing to do, like having life insurance. What do you think about that? Oh, I absolutely agree with you 100%. I always say to clients who are contemplating getting married, and we talk about uh, premarital planning, as you know, is very, very important, prenuptial agreements. And that's not very romantic in their, in their eyes. They think that here we are getting married and we're planning for a divorce. No, you're really not. What you're really planning for is the characterization of assets. What you're planning upon is the asset protection of those assets from one spouse to another. And one of the other things that's really interesting is I, I think, Catherine, you'll bear me out on this, that one of the major reasons for divorce is money. The, you know, the, the spouses thinking differently about money. And as if we take the money problem out of the marriage, so we know what's going to happen in the event of marriage terminates, a lot of times it helps save a marriage rather than hurt one. So it's just a very interesting thing. So I agree with you 100%. And the statement that you meant is very, very important. All marriages will end by death and divorce, or sometimes, sadly, by such a, a grave incapacity that the person or the long-term dementia or Alzheimer's that the person that we knew and loved is no longer there anymore. So yeah, yeah. The, the more planning and, and you said you're hundred percent right. You know, paying lawyers, lawyers are involved, you know, lawyers for after they get divorced, lawyers before they get divorced. And you know, a lot of lawyers and the last thing I want to do is have more lawyers. But I do think for a successful termination of a marriage, especially what, what if there's a business, Catherine, and they're both in the business. They're both operating the business. And now they want to get divorced. There are so many issues that the more that you could definitize it, memorialize it, get agreements, while, as you put it, they're in a loving relationship, the better it is for everybody that's involved. I want to remind people that you're listening to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Catherine Miller, and we're here every other Wednesday from 5 to 5.30 on WVOX 1460 AM in Westchester and also available as a podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And I'm talking today with Harry Barth about estate planning after divorce. And Harry, if people are interested in learning more about you or your firm, how can they do that? Let me give you my email address. It's harry at barth, B-A-R-T-H, attorneys.com. That's harry at barthattorneys.com, and our telephone number area code 714-704-4820.
28th. So they could reach me by email at any time. I would be more than happy to provide everybody nationwide with a complimentary consultation. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And, you know, I want to make sure that we don't run out of time before we talk about blended family estate planning. What can, I think this is such a complicated thing. Blended families are complicated in any way, shape, or form. But thinking about estate planning in this situation, what are some thoughts or hints or suggestions that you have for people who might be contemplating that or dealing with Oh, yeah. So blended family estate planning is always challenging. And because there's two levels of concern. And it's primarily not so much between the spouses, but it's when you have spouses that have children of different marriages. So yeah. uh, spouse A has children from prior marriage, spouse B has children from prior marriage, and then they have perhaps children from their own marriage. So what happens is is that although unsaid many times, unsaid, oh, all of our children are treated equally. You know, that my two from my prior marriage and your two from your prior marriage and the two that we have together are treated equally, assuming that there were six. That's what they say. But in the back of their minds, and I've seen this played out almost universally, well, if I die and my wife inherits everything and she has the ability to control everything, I think, because my children don't like, or it could be either way, it's not, 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 you know, wife or, or, or husband or spouse. So my children, I don't believe that my spouse, my second spouse or third spouse, have say have the ability, they will change the assets or the, 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 the ultimate disposition of those assets to their children and perhaps our common children. And if we have no common children, the change of their children and my children will be, you know, out in the wind with nothing, left with nothing more than potential a litigation against my spouse. So we see that almost universally. And so it's really important that we deal with that. And many times, you know, spouses of different ages, sometimes children of the same age as a spouse, you, you have so much of that. So one of the best ways to deal with that is to leave assets to surviving spouse, whereby surviving spouse has the ability to have income and or principal because that's what I wanted to do. I might have a third-party trustee looking over that block of assets so it's not abused. And I would set it up in such an irrevocable way that upon my spouse's death, the plans that I laid down for my children or collective children are irrevocable and then spouse does not have the opportunity to change that, most people are okay with that. And the other thing, too, is that depending upon ages and everything else, I'm sure you've seen this, Catherine. Well, you know, maybe I just turn around and leave a certain amount of assets, depending upon New York and federal estate taxes, to my children from a prior marriage and or the acquisition of a life insurance policy, naming my children as beneficiaries so they don't get mixed up. You know, we have life insurance for her children, life insurance for my children, then our estate for our common children. So yes, it's challenging. Yes, it's emotional, but it's one that it has to be dealt with all the time. And we do. I think that's really super helpful. And Harry Barth, I also want to talk about something that I think is really kind of an interesting thing. And that's when people are thinking about end of marriage planning. 
that what I try to say to people is imagine you're you're considering your reading glasses and your distance glasses <laughs> because the laws on each of these things are completely different. And this idea of separate property is really not a thing when you're talking about the state law. So can you talk a little bit about how people should think about what's theirs, what's mine, what's ours, you know, and, and, and how to think about that in terms of their post-divorce state plan? Well, I'm not sure I, I totally understand where, where you're coming from on that, Captain. Can you reiterate, because you have separate property, but as we all know, separate property, it can be utilized to determine spousal support and other forms of equitable distribution, especially in New York. Uh, but the other thing, too, is that you know, post-divorce uh, separate property, the way that I spoke about it earlier, if it's encapsulated in the appropriate type of trust, it does put a protection around that. So I, we, we do do that. Again, assuming that our client, uh, your client is up to working with lawyers to make sure that everything is protected. So the next marriage or and or situation that they find themselves in, that that separate property that they brought to the marriage retains its separate characteristic. And the other thing we have to worry about is whether or not, you know, the, the other spouse is contributing to the separate property. It's, again, another complicated problem. But I think the proper use of trust, premarital and postmarital agreements, does significantly decrease that. So one thing that you mentioned just in our last few seconds, obviously people who are getting divorced should think about changing their health care directives and powers of attorney. What are the next steps that they should think about toward, in terms of their estate? Well, I think, I think the next steps are once they have the preliminary stuff out of the way, we just wait and see what the ultimate property dispositions are going to be and then set up their estate plans for the future uh, based upon them, them and themselves rather than the public. All right, Harry Barth, thank you so much for being our guest on Divorce Dialogues and talking about estate planning after divorce. It's such an important topic. Thank you, Catherine. Great being on your show. Good to see you.